Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm Andrew, an Autistic Certified Financial Planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. Today, our guest is Joy. She is an autistic writer with a particular interest in constructed language. Professionally, she is seeking employment and developing some professional skills before returning to school for creative writing. Hi, Joy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we want to ha- we always ask our guests how they like to identify, and I'm talking about pronouns, but also your identity as, you know, autistic person, person with autism on the spectrum. What are your preferences? Um, I use she, her pronouns as for person on spectrum, autistic. I use all of them. It really doesn't matter to me. Us too. What is your diagnosis diagnosis story? Uh, How did that affect your life? I just, I was in and out of therapy. Uh, They gave me medications and things. Nothing really seemed to help. Uh, And eventually when I was a teenager, I got diagnosed, misdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And to me, it was like, you know, this, I guess it sort of fits on the surface, but I don't think this is what's going on. Uh, I, uh, I had an autistic relative, but even then I wasn't really putting together the dots. So I was referred to this therapist for the borderline personality disorder. And she looked at me and she worked with me for a while. And she pulled me aside after one session and just said, you know, I don't really think you're autistic or I don't really think you're borderline. I think you might be autistic. So she referred me to the neuropsych. Um, who was working in the same facility and uh, had the evaluation and surprise. Uh, It turned out I had been autistic for my entire life. And so at that point, um, I, she, I continued to work with this therapist and she, uh, with that approach, she was able to sort of teach me how to advocate for myself, um, help me become more aware of what my needs actually were. Um, I really got a lot more stable um, being able to advocate for myself was probably the biggest thing. And I managed to uh, get through college. I don't think I would have if I hadn't had the support of that therapist, uh, and the self-awareness that came from getting diagnosed. Did you uh, keep the borderline, um, diagnosis or did that go away when you were diagnosed with, uh, with autism? Um, I think that went away. Now you're just like, uh, when you see her, you're focused on like working on the autism part and not mm-hmm. the borderline. Got it. Yeah. So, and, you know, the depression, anxiety, those those are pretty constant. But And it is pretty common for a lot of people to be, you know, misdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder, you know, first. Uh, and there mm-hmm. are similarities for a reason, um, but they also both exist. Not everyone who's autistic, you know, is misdiagnosed borderline and you know, right. Are, and there are plenty so, of people who do have both. It's yeah. What, what did she say were the main reason she didn't think you had borderline and she, uh, she thought you were autistic, if you can remember? Well, with emotional dysregulation in general, I'd been diagnosed with borderline when I was 17 and I wasn't presenting with that at all by the time I got diagnosed. Life is all about change. And you've had some major life changes mm. uh, recently. You, you got married. Um, can I you did, tell yeah. us 
about how you made the wedding and do you have any tips for having an autistic friendly wedding um keep it small that is the main tip i have for an autistic friendly wedding uh crowds are just really really hard and everybody's going to want to come up and hug you and things so if you keep it to just your family and your really close friends who you really want to be there i guess there's the social obligation to invite literally everyone you know but you don't have to do that <laughs> we just had ours and it was actually in the house that was a funny story that wasn't how he planned it but uh his parents got covid so what, what, what was your plan originally Uh, we were going to have just a little small ceremony in the prayer chapel on his campus. And that would have been, you know, more of the same, just tiny with the people who are most important to us. That's important. Uh, Eileen, did you see the Reddit, am I the asshole for the people who um, paid for like a Mickey Mouse like costume person instead of having food at their wedding? Mm -mm. It was, yeah. oh, yeah. It, you, I thought you read Am I the Asshole a lot, right? Yeah. You missed that yeah, one? That was yeah. good. They spent like $6,000, like their whole food budget on like a, like an official Mickey Mouse something and people were mad there was no food because they spent <laughs> all their food. I would be mad. I would be mad. <laughs> yeah. I think the food's important. How did you, uh, how'd you meet your spouse? Yeah, especially if you're going to invite people around to mealtime. Oh, I met him online, actually, um, through Facebook. We were in the same Facebook group together. Uh, so what the hell is conlanging? Col what? I can't, if I said that right. <laughs> yes. And can you give some examples? Sure. So um, conlanging is short for constructed language. Um, a conlang is... Um, It's a language that's not, it doesn't, it hasn't happened organically. It's been designed by a person or a team of people. Um, and that can be either a fictional language, like uh, how Tolkien has uh, the Elvish languages, like Quenya and Sindarin. Um, it can be like that, or it can be um, an auxiliary language um, for the, to facilitate, facilitate communication between people who speak other languages, like Esperanto is an example of that. Um, and that's one that's actually designed for people to use. I do fictional languages. I don't actually intend anybody to be speaking fluently. Uh, it's just to enhance my world building in the stories that I write mostly. So what is, uh, what in your expert opinion do you think of meta words like neurodiversity, neurodivergent, uh, neurodiverse, especially the term lately that now everyone is neurodiverse? Uh, huh. I personally don't really use the term neurodivergent, neurodiverse. I don't feel like they're very useful. Just They, they don't give you very much information. Like by the current neurodiversity paradigm, you've got, okay, so autistic people are neurodivergent and so are people with ADHD and so are people with any mental illness and so are people with chronic pain and so are people with trauma. And so if you tell me you're neurodivergent, I don't know anything about you. Uh, and as for the distinction between neurodivergent and neurodiverse, I guess I see the argument that... Uh, neurodiverse has to describe a group rather than a person like i see the argument i just think it's silly because the you know the word doesn't mean all that much to begin with 
No, we, we, we were definitely, yeah, curious given your, your stance, uh, again, just, you know, on language. And I would agree with you that, you know, in general, if you try to include everybody, right, then you don't end up really, well, you know, there needs to be descriptors. Like you said, it doesn't, you know, it becomes almost meaningless the more people, you know, described or under an <laughs> umbrella. So, so you mentioned that you had some obstacles to employment. Um, oh yeah. What obstacles have you faced and what do you think can be done about it? Yeah, I really struggle with the interview process. I am, uh, I haven't found anyone who's like explicitly autistic friendly yet. And uh, I think that's the reason I don't really get called back after interviews. I just, you know, I get nervous. I don't like to make the eye contact. I don't, I can't really anticipate what sort of answers people are expecting of me. So it's the interview that uh, gets me a lot of the time. Uh, also, I struggle to pick things up like during training. So when I do have a job, I can make mistakes at the beginning because I'm not quite grasping, you know, things that people would pick up on pretty quickly in general. Uh, so I think the employers get frustrated and they get let go. I'm just trying to brute force my way through applications at this point as for what can be done about it. I uh, applied to a tutoring job online recently and I uh, haven't heard back yet. Yeah. I mean, stru struggles with uh, employment and adapting to uh, life changes, as you mentioned, can be difficult. Mm -hmm. However, you also believe that the key uh, to moving forward is to avoid negativity online that many of us can get sucked into. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I think it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with venting online about how about when you find things difficult, but it's easy to get in this sort of, I don't know, can I call it a feedback loop? Yeah. Uh, where you complain about how hard it is and people just validate, oh yeah, it's super hard. And you get into this mindset that the world is never going to change. You're never going to get a job because this is just how everything is. And I found myself getting into that mindset. Like I didn't even want to apply for jobs for a while because I just thought, you know, there's no way there's no way they're going to want to hire someone like me just because I get in this. I don't know. You look online and you kind of can reinforce your own negative thoughts if you're not careful. Yeah, def definitely. And I think it's the problem of many groups. Uh, it's like an echo chamber, whether it's like just an right. opinion or feelings and it, it gets really bad. And many times it isn't even on purpose. It's people want to be validating but they validate the wrong thing oh, yeah that's very true i'll invalidate everything you ever say eileen don't worry i'll <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll always be there to argue with you okay thank you, thank you. yes <laughs> um a little bit of i don't even know if that's sarcasm that might be mostly true <laughs> like half sarcasm maybe eileen so yeah, no, i mean it's needed but it's good it's good to be challenged yes um, so you were going to college, not just as an autistic person, but during COVID-19 and can you tell us what that was like? I mean, to, again, talk about change and uncertainty. There must've been quite a bit. Oh man. It was so, it was sudden. We, that March, uh, March of 2020, 
we, um, I went to my brother's wedding um, in a different state and, um, you know, the place was packed. It was a huge wedding. I remember dancing, you know, to Taylor Swift songs or whatever. And we're like, you know, life doesn't get any better than this. And then as soon as we came back home, it was, you know, we have this pandemic now and we went straight to lockdown pretty much. Um, my classes were suspended because uh, our spring break got extended. They didn't know what to do about the classes. And then we just went online for the rest of the semester. Is like I, I left campus and then just didn't go back. Uh, and just, I remember just the contrast between that wedding and just nothing. I went and I, uh, I lived really close to my campus. Uh, so I would just, I would go walking just to give myself a semblance of routine. I would walk around campus to like, I wouldn't go into the buildings, but to where my classes used to be just completely deserted. It was just me. Uh, cause you know, I would have fallen apart if, uh, I wasn't out there going somewhere like I had been before. I just had to hang on. Uh, it was really hard. Just the starkness of it is going to stay with me forever. Uh, we had uh, the COVID cases in my home state were um, not as severe as elsewhere in the nation. And um, so our governor decided to open things up a little sooner than some other states. And that was a bit of a controversial decision, but regardless, um, Zoom in-person classes the next semester. Um, so there was sort of that return to normalcy, but it was just a little, everyone was on edge. It just wasn't the same. And I ended up feeling like I lost half of my college experience because of, because of COVID-19 and uh, all the measures that had to be taken. It really was a rotten time. And on top of that, I lost three family members, not of COVID, but around that time, just in quick succession. Um, so it was just, it was a really hard time. Uh, I think it would be hard for anyone, but on top of that, I just, you know, we're autistic, we resist change. I know that you like uh, video games. Did that help you uh, cope in any way? Oh yeah, uh, I played Stardew Valley all throughout. Uh, the pandemic that really helped uh, just to get away from it all. Stardew Valley, uh, it's this little, uh, it's a farming simulator RPG thing. Uh, it's very cute, very wholesome. Uh, it's not like serious gaming at all, but uh, especially during that time, you just need something light and fluffy to oh, get yeah. you through life. <laughs> I like video games like uh, Animal Crossing and Pokemon. Yeah, uh, Stardew's right in that genre along with Animal Crossing. No, that's that's cool. I need to check it out. Uh, I've never heard of the game uh, Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Sky. But right. you know about that, it? Yes, that is my all-time favorite video game. It's this really obscure Pokemon game. I've only met like two other people who have ever played it. Uh, it is wonderful. It's a, I think primarily the gameplay you describe it as a roguelike. I think that is how you would classify it. Uh, but the story is quite good and the music is excellent. Uh, so what do you do in the game, like compared to the other Pokemon games? Sure. So a difference is uh, you wake up on a beach at the beginning of the game and discover that you have turned into a Pokemon, but you have no memory. Oh. So, uh, 
you are exploring dungeons with your Pokemon partner. Uh, there aren't any other humans in the game. Just, just Pokemon. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What uh, console do you play it on? Nintendo or what is it? It was a Nintendo DS game. Yeah. Oh, it was a DS game. Oh, that's cool. I have a DS. I need to. Check I think it they out. released it. I think they released it for Wii U as well as a digital download. But you know, I never had a Wii, so. Or 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 let alone a Wii U. Like yeah. The... Yeah. Actually, one of my employees and friends actually does know the game, and he does have it for DS. So there are three people. So <laughs> Woohoo! he plays a lot of Pokemon. So I asked him yesterday, I'm like, do you know this game? He's like, yeah, I have it for DS. So yeah, it's so good. Uh, I think it had some mixed critical reviews, but uh, I don't let that sway me. Uh, what did you like so much about it? Mostly the story. Uh, I thought it was excellent. Uh, it, I replayed it recently, actually, uh, with my husband because he had never heard of it. And um, the story holds up pretty well. Like, I was impressed as a kid, but kids are easily impressed. Mm. Uh, I really thought it held up. That's awesome. All Pokemon game hold up very well. Like, right. if you're playing Pokemon, like, Let's Go, which is basically the newer version of uh, what it used to be uh, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah, I think the first Pokemon game I played was uh, Yellow. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Get you. Mine was Red. Yeah. Did I tell you, Eileen, uh, ever that that's how I bonded with my wife Jessica? Like, oh, um, yeah. Over over a video game that I lied and I said I played. I hadn't played it yet. It, it was never, Portal. Oh. <laughs> it was Portal. Oh. Portal Two had just came out, and I did end up playing both of them, but I pretended I liked it. You know, more than I did. Those are pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what did you study in college and why? Uh, so I was initially a mu music education major, but I changed it over to English pretty quickly. Um, I had a particularly good British literature class that I just adored. Uh, I uh, was captivated by Sir Gowan and the Green Knight and just Middle English in general kind of kickstarted my interest in linguistics and, um, and literature as well. So I switched my major over. Um, it's a little bit frustrating, I think, because people expect autistic people to be really into math and engineering and that kind of thing. And I just never was, I was more the creative type. Um, but then I never quite felt fully at home in the English world either, because there's just so much subjectivity and um, especially literary criticism, you know, I always want there to be a meaning of the text. And there's this, you know, there's death of the author. There's, you can't say that the text is what the author meant it to mean. Um, and there's just a whole lot of interpretation. And that always really frustrated me as someone who, you know, I contend a little towards black and white thinking a, little, a lot of the time. And I just want there to be the same objectivity that maybe there is in music theory, which is what I did before. And um, so that's kind of why I gravitated towards the systems of conlanging rather than literary criticism. Because I like things being, they're not necessarily perfectly regular, but they're systematic. And to me, that is where the beauty of language lies. And that's why I, that's why I majored in English to begin with. Did you know that there is a college scholarship for speaking Klingon? I didn't know that, but that is awesome. I wonder if there's one for Quenya. 
I don't know. I we I give presentations like sometimes on like college planning and people getting ready and like you know weird scholarships and that's always the one that like mm-hmm. stuck with me that I like <laughs> to mention is that if you can speak Klingon, there's it's like a five hundred thousand dollar you know scholarship. But still, that's in- that's awesome. Maybe you should start. Yeah, the I, Klingon is fun. Language that you mentioned <laughs> that I can't repeat. So yeah, Quenya is a. Uh... Tolkien's one of his two well he had more than two I think one of Tolkien's elvish languages no it's so cool it's funny what you said about like how people expect autistic people to like math and engineering and it was the same I was always into like uh languages you know obviously my first language is French and yeah I've never been into math or science and all of that and I don't know why that cliche uh, of it is sticking so much uh to the auti- the idea of people have of autism because it's not true for so many people I mean then you have people yeah. like that but <laughs> mm-hmm. but there's this idea that we can't be creative and uh I wonder if that's why I was missed as a child just because you know I was in my own imaginary land all the time uh, and, you know, they look for things like the lining up toys and quote unquote inappropriate play. That was actually my brother. Uh, he would line things up. Uh, and he's he's uh, he has his PhD. Does he have his PhD yet? He's getting his PhD in mathematics. Uh, <laughs> somehow he doesn't have a diagnosis. But, uh, <laughs> well, OK. Yeah, but I wonder gonna... I wonder if this is a male female thing, if just women tend to be more imaginative, even if they are autistic. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that might be true because, you know, all of the people I know who are autistic and creative are more, yeah, they're all women, actually. And then there are the people into mass who are boys. Might might be a gender thing. Mm-hmm. And then I know autistic, I know autistic women who are into math, too, but. Uh... A bit more rare. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure uh, the criteria for diagnosis are going to change. Um over mm-hmm. the years, they're already kind of picking up on, yeah, those those things like how you know girls have less restrictive interest and all of that, um, or less obvious. I guess what I read that really st- stuck with me is that girls, their special interests are more what would be considered normal, uh, so or like, socially acceptable. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the horse girls. Yeah. Yeah, so so it, that's how it can be me. It's like, oh, she really likes it, but you know, well, you know, who doesn't like horses? Or like, I was really into soccer. When like boys, it's more like, yeah, maybe like trends or something a bit more unusual. So it's more obvious, right? Yeah, uh, I think for girls, sometimes it's boy bands or yeah. things that are not necessarily abnormal for a teenage girl. Yeah, totally. Uh, for me, it was Pokemon. It when I was little, and then. Uh, I had, when I was in high school, I was obsessed with sonnets, the poetic form, and I wrote 300 of them in my four years of high school. Uh, And I think people just saw that as me being nerdy and quirky and maybe a little bit obsessive. It it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't seem like the same thing as um, the boys who really like trains, for instance. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely was it was pretty rigid pretty restricted yeah looking back I mean I feel like it's so 
much easier to see now that you know we can look back on these things uh but mm. yeah i i'm gonna ask you some quick fire questions so basically mm -hmm. it's just like quick questions and you tell me the first answer that comes to your mind okay. what is your favorite memory as a child child uh going to the pool with my dad oh that's so sweet what's your favorite pokemon pikachu that's yeah. everyone's favorite pokemon yeah i like eevee like he's so cute i do like eevee i like all yeah. of them oh. yeah <laughs> what's your favorite drink water <laughs> fair enough what's your favorite portrayal of autism in the media Hmm. It's an unpopular opinion, but I do like Sean from The Good Doctor. You know, I've only seen a few episodes, but yeah, I've I've heard it's like on the cliche side. Um, it is, but I like him. What's your dream job? What was your dream job as a child? Oh, do you have a dream job now? Uh, dream job as a child. Um, I actually wanted to be a software engineer, like my uh. Like my oh. brother. Uh, dream job now. I would love to compose music for video games. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was uh, great mm -hmm. speaking with you. Do you have a social media anywhere you want people to find you online? I tend to keep to myself online. I do have uh, a writing page, but I never post to it. So, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Have a good night. Th thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.